Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether and if so how politics should appear in our preaching this week. This week we're clearly fo focused on politics following the local elections in some parts of the UK last week and the changes that those elections will have brought. My name's Jenny Mills and I'm Secretary for Education and Learning in the United Reformed Church. I support people in their discipleship journeys as the United Reformed Church offers training, learning opportunities, funding and resources to encourage lifelong learning. Each week I'm joined by a different guest and uh, a different place and space on the political, uh, on the pulpit and political landscape. Today, I am very excited to introduce Philip Powell. Philip Powell is the co-director of the Justice Conference UK. He's also the Theology and Network Engagement Manager UK with Tear Fund, having previously worked for eight years at the Cambridge-based think tank Jubilee Centre. Philip has a passion for serving as an ecumenical bridge builder across cultural differences and theological streams. Philip, hello, lovely to see you. Good morning, and, good morning. And welcome, welcome to Politics in the Pulpit. Um, so that's quite a range of, uh, of, of responsibilities and roles, um, but I particularly loved the, the bridge builder image. I just thought that was really, really precious and something so important at the moment. So could you just give us a, a little bit about, uh, about yourself and um, how, how politics or, or politics with a small p comes into your preaching and teaching ministry and, and how who you are affects how you are? Thank you. It's wonderful to be uh, part of the program this morning. Uh, I have known about JPIT's work for a long time. I've been in meetings with uh, staff from JPIT, and today to be on this program is a real um, honor and a, and, a, and a treat. So I'm looking well, forward to Well, we're delighted to, to have you. Fantastic. So let me quickly say that um, even though I'm in Christian ministry, my own uh, academic background is in politics and international relations. So I've spent um, years and years studying and thinking about politics uh, from an academic point of view, but then it intersects with my, my, my faith um, and my preaching and teaching and my engagement with the world. So that's just a little bit about the politics side of things. But let me um, maybe say something about who I am and my journey. As you can probably tell, looking at me, I'm from India, even though my name doesn't give you that impression. Uh, it is the name I was given when I was born. Um, Mom and dad themselves came from two different um, uh, caste backgrounds and they married across caste background which if you know anything about the caste system in India was controversial yeah. even in the Christian community and my parents affirmed that unity across that uh, division um, and then growing up as a Christian in India which is a minority community compared to the majority faith yeah. teaches you to learn how to navigate and manage difference um, sometimes Christians have done that well, and sometimes Christians can learn and get better at it. But that sort of built into me uh, a deep desire to, to not affirm uh, identity based on us and them, but about trying to sort of what can bring us together. And then the third aspect I would, I would throw into that is um, having grown up in India, I've now lived the second half of my life um, uh, or the, you know, the, the first uh, almost 23 years of my life in India and then the remaining 23 years of my life in the West, and that is again had has had to teach me how do you do difference well, how do you navigate um, issues 
that um, in one culture seems right, in another culture seems wrong. And it's that kind of experience that has made me the person I am. And so when I speak, I'm constantly um, trying to think about the world multidimensionally. Pluralism is not something that you study at university. It's 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 the thing that makes up my soul. I have to think of the world in a, in a in a pluralistic way. So that's just who I am. Wow. Well, thank you so much much for that introduction, and uh, I look forward to to what you're going to offer us through the text because I think it's a particularly um, uh, interesting and and um, angle from which you come. And I really appreciate. I love the idea of the plural plurality sort of coming from us. Um, just to put a context each week, uh, I, I asked my JPIC colleagues to round up um, for a little of their sort of roundup in the world of politics at the moment. And um, as we mentioned, they, we have had the local elections uh, in London, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and parts of uh, England. Labour have won three symbolic London councils uh, and some of the Conservative um, uh, comments are about Partygate and the cost of living crisis. Um, and... Uh, um, Many of us now have new councils and actually it's a really good time for churches to become involved and get to know their local councillors and build relationships, um, which would be a um, JPIC can support this through the new campaign Net Zero in my neighbourhood, which will equip churches to convene um, institutions in their community to meet with councils and uh, hold them to account over net zero plans. Um, Ukraine, having had the uh, successful evacuation from Mariupol, this has paved the way for Russian forces even more. So we hold that as well. And the safeguarding questions around Homes for Ukraine scheme in the UK, where some vulnerable women are um, encountering difficulties um, and the frustration with the scheme itself and the slowness of it. Uh, there's a potentially tricky one about abortion in the UK and um, the leaked Supreme Court ruling. Um, so all of that. And um, for importantly, Christian Aid Week begins fifteenth uh, Sunday the 15th, which is a key uh, thing that many of our churches engage in. I'd also add we're in the church year of Easter. So we've still got the still focused very much on resurrection, new life and kind of new insights into old stories. I think that sense of, of, of looking at things new way and in relation to our worshipping communities, concern about local communities, the needs of people, uh, marginalisation and, and quite realistically, some of the decline that's going on in some of our mainstream congregations. So with our metaphorical newspapers in one hand, our understanding of our own contexts in the other, and the Bible uh, firmly in front of us. Um, I, I invite you to, to lead us on in a journey uh, around the texts for this week's lectionary. Indeed, indeed. Um, I was just going to respond very briefly on the headlines that you had um, highlighted. Uh, I've often um, you know, you wake up in the morning and because your alarm for the day, you know, for the start of the day is on your phone, I am very tempted and I often give in to that temptation to look <laughs> at the news and this is the news that comes at you. But I also try to every day uh, spend some time in scripture. Mm -hmm. And part of what I think is the challenge for uh, Christians, but particularly Christians in leadership, is to uh, not allow the news cycle to define how you understand the world. There is a way in which the, the encountering of God's word in the scriptures re-describes the world. Um, it, it puts a different spin on it. 
if I can put it that way. And it's that mm -hmm. that we need as well. So headlines, um, uh, of course, newspaper, but we see the world differently because there is a different logic that we believe is at work, which is, of course, for us, found in the person of Jesus Christ is death and resurrection. And somehow we live in this tension between affirming what we know is true in scripture, particularly yeah. the person of Jesus Christ as the center of what the scriptures have to say to us, um, and the world we live in at the moment, what is going on in Ukraine, heartbreaking stuff. I mean, my wife and I, uh, when we have dinner in the evening, it's sometimes even difficult to have conversations because we feel so overwhelmed. And, um, and she's from the Netherlands. And uh, we see what's going on in Europe and we ask questions about, you know, is, is the post-World War II international order coming apart? Is it, is, is it going to lead to something far worse? But more locally in my own neighborhood, um, with the challenges of homelessness, um, yeah. crime, we, we feel overwhelmed. And yet to somehow find this living word that re-describes the world, renews us. And so yeah. I, I say those things before I come to the text. And I must say that... Um, profound text. Um, I might come to the Revelation one a bit later, but I think I'll start with the one in Acts and then see okay. how what we read in John yes. uh, in, uh, um, shines a light into how we um, um, understand what's going on with Peter. I mean, this this passage in, in the book of Acts, about what happens to Peter? I mean, Peter is this sort of, you know, he's all over the New Testament, Peter. You know, there's very little places you can go to the New Testament where Peter doesn't jump out of you. <laughs> but this particular story in Peter's life, I think, is so pivotal uh, between um, Peter that wanted to hold on to something that gave him his sense of identity in an ethno-nationalistic sense, and a Peter that was called to be the true apostle of the church as the movement was going forward. And I think... When I read this passage, the first thing that jumped out at me is just how impossible the the challenge was for Peter. You know, if you put yourself in Peter's shoes, I mean, there's the other incident where, you know, he's sitting and eating with some uh, Gentiles. And then when he sees some Jews coming in, he gets up and tries to pretend he wasn't doing it. Yes. This is after he has had this experience. So I, I, first I want to sort of... Um, empathize and, and and feel what Peter is going on, what's going on in Peter's mind and heart and how challenging this is would have been for a, for a Jewish leader. But the other thing that stands out to me in this is that in one sense, the issue is not that in, inherently these things were bad or evil, that the thing that comes in the blanket, it's the perception of it that is yes. being challenged. Yes. And so often, um, it's 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 that it's how you see things may not what how your perception may not be real but it has real consequences in the real world and how do we go through a conversion that takes the lenses through which we're looking at the world and puts a different lens on it i mean this story becomes a new lens to see the world um, um one christian missionary to india uh, described it the enduring validity of cross-cultural friendship or cross-cultural mission yeah. And something of that is going on. And I know that this passage, um, especially uh, in circles where we want to affirm the unity of the church, the ecumenical body of Christ, this passage is so powerful because it yes. challenges that rigid, uh, you know, sectarian way of seeing the world and thinking you've got the whole truth. And the boundaries and the barriers that we put in place and the, and the limitations that we put on things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, 
So if I was a preacher, given, given this passage to preach, it would be a text that would bring me alive. Now, of course, um, I, I, I'd like to imagine myself preaching from this text in certain places uh, in the Christian family. But, but the key point is that we all need to go through this conversion continually. It's not like this one thing that happens sometime in a particular um, calendar moment, but it's an ongoing um, um, discipleship that yeah. renews our mind and transforms the way we live in the world, particularly in relation to the other, um, whether that is on um, the issue that we see here, or it could be a, a wide variety of things. And preachers have to um, bring both the challenge, you know, that, that disorientation that the text brings into your world, and yeah. then turn people to um, look to Christ, who gives us our new sense of orientation on how to be in the world. And this passage for me has helped me hugely as I've gone through my own cross-cultural journey between growing up in India and living in the UK. So that would be the key thing for me in the text. And, and it's so interesting as well that it's not, um, how would I put this? There is a dimension of human responsibility in the story and human agency, but there is also the work of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is, which is always mysterious. You know, in John, we read, you know, we, we don't know where the wind comes from and where the wind goes, but we feel it. And there is the role of the Holy Spirit in, in sort of engineering this and bringing about this transformation in Peter and then how that bears fruit in the church. So I think, um, of course, we, we need to uh, respond to the word, but we also are being mysteriously led into the future because of yes. the work of the Holy Spirit. So there will be a few things I would say about this passage. Yeah. Um, I haven't connected it to John, but maybe you want to say something and I'll come oh. back to how this fits with John. I love the fact that you ended with this moving of the spirit because I think, and, and I love the conversion idea because I think we can look back at particularly the history of the church and see how, how attitudes have changed, how people's understandings of where God is being revealed has changed, you know, condoning slavery and some of the, some of the more recent inclusion um, things. I think that sense of the spirit moves and, are we attentive and that constant hope of something something more more christ-like so thank you no that's excellent take take us on to john and when we are there we do actually have a question from somebody that that has um has asked the question via via twitter but take us into john i look forward to what you have to offer again um jesus predicts uh, peter's denial what struck me, it's, it's almost like there is a, a key here in John that helps us understand what we read in Acts. And, and, the, and the, it's the verse in 34, a new commandment I give you. I mean, in one sense, you have to grapple with why did Jesus say it's a new commandment? Because in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, we say we do read love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And, and yet here. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so that so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow. Talk <laughs> about uh, uh, setting the bar high. <laughs> um, and yet we cannot escape or try to water down. The, the, the very heart of the Christian faith, which is that God empties himself in Jesus and enters into the human story and all its vulnerability and all its um, frailty and, and demonstrates what love is. 
Yeah. This is love that God lays down his life for us. And so yeah. when it says a new commandment, I think that idea of love one another, which is so challenging, you know, Henry Nouwen um, in, in his book on peace says, it is much easier, even though it is costly, to go to a protest march with a sign that says um, no war than it is to love somebody who has hurt you and has wounded you. Mm. And to forgive that person and to open yourself again vulnerably to, to, to relationship with that person. So it, it is uh, costly and demanding. And yet I must, I, must be, I must say that that transformation of becoming other-centered uh, through being Christ-centered is not something we do by pulling our own bootstraps up. It's something that the spirit works into us and brings that sort of, you know, we read again in John, you know, abiding in the vine and we bear fruit. This is sort of comes through that sort of relationship with the God who is love. That you don't look at the immigrant as the cultural other, but as the uh, someone with whom you share fundamental solidarity, being part of the human race. Yeah, That transformation ultimately is the work of the spirit in us. And this verse in 34 and 35 becomes for me the way to, to read the story of Peter in Acts. So, so this sense of, because um, this comes just after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, isn't, isn't it? And it's this yeah. sense of, 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 um, of, of, of the way we show love starts with those around us and then extends out. But it's actually, <clears throat> as you've touched on, that's so role modeled by Jesus that it's a sacrificial love. It's a love that seeks justice and peace for others, in, you know, but it starts in a, it starts in, in, in a community. It's not just an individual journey, is it? True, true. Um, love orients us towards living in the messiness of community. And yeah. there is no way around it. Uh, there is no way around it. Uh, I've lived in community for significant periods of my life, and it's unbelievable how the smallest things can cause <laughs> big problems. Yes. So it's not some sort of, you know, Hollywood blockbuster in which we sort of um, <laughs> romantically arrive at this sort of Christian community. It is messy because uh, um, human beings are complex. Yeah. And the social context in which we live is so often not orienting us towards love, but orienting us away from love. Yeah. So the fact that um, we seek and desire to live this way and it begins to see glimpses of it, the first fruit of this church living love, that is what um, I believe gives compelling proof that God is love and that in Jesus we, 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 we know God. Yeah. And I think I think you see in you see even in this text the messiness of, of community because you've got you know you have got Judas you've got Jesus you know the, the whole and and then you've as you say we Peter pops up everywhere and I just love his vulnerability and humanness um so you've got that messiness of community being modeled in in the lives of the disciples the, um we have a question from from Lee Battle um about this text it says how do you feel God's love and how does that feeling translate into action and justice? Thank you. How do I feel God's love? I think the fact that the word feeling is used, I think is, is, is legitimate. In fact, I think it's important to affirm that faith is not just an intellectual enterprise. There is an emotional yeah. dimension to our relationship yeah. with the divine. And 
we need to be careful that we don't um, make that the proof of knowing we are loved by God, because like in a marriage, it's not every moment you, you wake up and feel romantically attracted to your wife. But if the emotional side of love is not present in, in, in that relationship, then you need to wonder whether you need to work at something. So I think first I want to affirm the fact that there is a, an emotional side to things. Um, there are times when um, I've, I've felt God's love. But I know that it is God's love that I'm feeling when that love that I feel changes the way I live in the world. That I just don't walk past somebody who's on the street that is in need. Yeah. That is what, to me, is the proof that you are experiencing God's love. It's not because I get some blissful uh, sort of butterflies <laughs> and things flying around my head. It's it's the way I live in the world. And, yeah. and for me, love and justice are actually quite closely connected. Yeah. Because ultimately, um, justice is institutionalizing love. Um, Cornell West says this, you know, um, in public life, justice uh, is what um, love looks like and you institutionalize love but i would also add to that that justice is all there's an element of um, uh, justice is also the institutionalized institutionalizing in society uh, god's holiness so love and holiness in god are held together and that that is the mystery that you can never get your head around how god is completely love and completely holy and, and the cross is a a little bit of a glimpse into that love and holiness coming together. And the reason I'm talking about holiness in the context of the question about love is because unless we see that aspect of God being holy, completely other, we, we, we will not expect in society the kind of justice that I think God wants in the society, because justice can sometimes also be about serving my own interests and my group's interest. Okay. But biblical justice is about the vulnerable, the, the needy, the, the widows, the orphans. Yeah. They don't have the power to assert their own rights and to go through a legal system and fight for themselves, yeah. which is why biblical justice is a is a is a is a, is, a, is bringing together in, in how we institutionalize in society, both the love of God and the and the holiness of God, and then we begin to see a world in which um, power is stewarded very differently. It's not yeah. to serve the interests of the powerful, but to prevent the powerful powerful from abusing that power, and the weak are protected from that abuse. Yeah. Wow. Thank you very much. Um, do you have anything you would like to offer us uh, around either of the other texts, Revelation? Do you have anything you'd like to, some insight you would like to, to share with us? Again, you know, in my new role at Tear Fund, um, we are doing a lot of work on um, environmental justice. And I've been recently speaking quite a bit about it. Um, and there's personal dimensions of how we live out that call to environmental justice but there is of course what churches can do i'm thinking of things like eco church but there's also what governments have to do and yeah. things like climate finance that tier fund is doing a lot of work on and uh, we want uh, we've just launched a new campaign on climate finance on plastic pollution is the other work that we're doing the reason i'm saying those things in relation to this passage is there's a kind of on one hand there is a kind of anxiety and paralysis that we can get into because we see the problem of what is going on and I've heard I've heard even Christian theologians say we are doomed when we look yeah. at the environmental crisis and yet when I read this passage uh, it awakens hope because God's character is truthful and when he makes promises he is someone who keeps those promises and if this is what he has promised somewhere I have to live with that sense that God has said, I will make all things new. Without this passage, 
all the sacrifice you make to love the other and to live in a way that goes against the grain of our culture yeah. will mean nothing because yeah. ultimately there is this hope that God will put things right. Uh, that eschatological vision of the future then works itself backward in how we do our politics and how we do our preaching today. Because ultimately it's his kingdom. It's, 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 it's not the church per se, it's about his kingdom. And that kingdom, God has said, will be the realization of a new heaven and a new earth. Not the spiritual heaven after I die, my soul will get there, but the, a very tangible. In fact, the line that I love in this passage, and I know that Murslav Wolf, the Croatian theologian based in America, is bringing out a book on God making his home on earth. That uh -huh. line that says, um, um, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself be, will be with them and be their God. That is extraordinary. Um, that is not a sort of a Platonist, a Platonist idea of a spirit world. It, it, there is something truly earth-centered about God making his home among his people. So um, for me, this passage is very important, but it's, 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 I think as a preacher, we, we, we need to awaken hope in people, but make sure that we don't give people a false sense of hope. That, that just sort of leaves you thinking, oh, it's all going to get sorted in the future. We have work to do. There is a task we are called to do as people of the kingdom. Yes, yes, absolutely. That, that sense that, that, that there is this promise of new earth, but it, but it isn't, yeah, it isn't just going to happen. We are, we are part of that, aren't we? And that's where that, that love and that community and that inclusion and that sense of caring not only for each other, but about caring for the world around us, um, coming hot on the heels of Earth Day, you know, this sense that we've really got to care for our world. And um, just very briefly, um, in, the, in the Psalm, uh, in Psalm 148, uh, that really comes out, doesn't it? The fact that the sea creatures in the ocean depths uh, are alongside the kings. You know, this sense of everything praises God. Absolutely. The whole community of creation, not just human beings in, an, in some anthropo, anthropo, anthropocentric sense, but the whole of the cosmos is oriented towards let them praise the name of the Lord. And, and what I found interesting as well, it says in the new creation, they won't be sea. And yet in this passage, it says the great sea monster or sea creature um, praises the Lord. There is a sense in which um, the overriding fact is that God's sovereignty will um, bring about this transformation that has been promised. And even in the Psalms, this it, it's such an ecological Psalm with fruit trees and cedars and animals and cattle that God will um, bring about a transformation. And I think the key point I want to say here is um, God, of course, we can say took a risk in creating the world and gave people freedom, but he also takes responsibility for taking that risk. And he has not abandoned the world to the choices and actions of wicked people. He has, not abandoned, he has not turned his back on his creation. And somewhere, God in his sovereignty and in his vulnerability is moving history as we uh, walk in step with the Spirit to see this transformation. And preaching is giving God's people that sense of um, not, you know, I can do it, we can do it, try harder gospel, but the one that turns makes us continually turn to God and, and trust him. Yeah, and I think one of the things in that psalm as well is 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 how easily 
is how easy does praise come to us? You know, we're, we're pretty good often at moaning. We're pretty good at particularly at the moment, looking at the state of the world and seeing seeing that that's a struggle. Um, but but praise and that sense of being together and praising and all of creation praising. Um, if you can just give us a, 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 a kind of we'll draw it to a close in terms of of, of, of praise and, and, and other aspects that we have within our worship. Get away from cities for some time to take a break from trains and cars and buses. <laughs> Go for a walk somewhere where you can hear the birds making their singing their excitement in, in spring, uh, being among trees. And somehow I find myself feeling more awake to the reality that God is God and that we as his people can praise him. It's it's it seems to be that there is something when you're in nature. Now, of course, now all of us can't, you know, it's not a luxury that everybody has. Yeah. Um, but but I think I've I've often found it helpful that um to live with that attitude of praise is actually good for my mental health as well. Uh yeah. and I'm yeah. I'm and I know that um in this culture, especially in the last 20 years of living here, that, that morning thing sort of sort of becomes a part of who you are, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Particularly about the weather. <laughs> the weather. But uh, anyway, all that to say that I think this psalm, it's not a happy, clappy psalm. I mean, because, you know, God's people were, were they, if you read their history, there is difficulties that they have in their yeah. history and, and the oppression that they experienced. But yeah. in the midst of that, they are affirming Yahweh as the one who has delivered them out of Egypt and who has promised to make them a blessing to the nation. So it's, it's that uh, worldview with which you look at the world. I think this psalm helps you. I hope I'm not trying to make it seem simple because the Christian yeah. life is not simple, yeah. but there are some things that are um, a given. And yeah. for me, that given is that Jesus came into the world, died and rose again. And that's why I do what I do with my life. Excellent. Well, I think that's an absolutely brilliant place to uh, to conclude our conversation. Thank you so much for coming with with wisdom and and a smile and 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 a, and a grounded theology, a theology that we can kind of relate to, as you say, in our everyday life, where it isn't easy and the world is not a simple place and there is a complexity. So, thank you so much. Um, for, thank you for having for, me for joining me. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation and. Uh, and um, uh, really appreciate you giving your time to, to share with us. Um, thank you very much. Um, if uh, everybody listening enjoyed the episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with your friends. We know that our listeners are a passionate and knowledgeable crowd, and we love to build um, a community of mutual learning and encouragement around the podcast so we really love to hear your your thoughts and and as lee did we we'd love to hear your questions too the best place to join in the conversation is twitter pulp um, at uh, politics underscore pulpit no at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit or on facebook through the joint public issues team or on instagram joint public issues team uh, each week, I'm encouraged to ask a question. So uh, we often hear the reading from Revelation, um, Revelation 21 at funerals. Uh, it's, it's kind of a common one because it is that hopeful text. But I, kind of grounding us a bit, what would a new earth look like here and now? Where are we able to work with where God is in the world to bring a new earth? Um, before we end, our listeners uh, may be interested to know that tickets for JPIT's 2022 conference, 
from the ground up, Unearthing Hope and Seeking Justice are available now. The conference will be held at Oasis Waterloo and online. So to get more information and to get your tickets, go to jointpublicissues.org.uk forward slash conference. So as I thank Philip for his time today, uh, I would like to leave us all with a blessing. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go. Amen. Amen. Go well and thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. Bye-bye. Wonderful. Bye-bye for now. Bye.